C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi, and we are joined on this special S'more episode with Sarah Shecker. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here in the very professional recording studio. And before we go any further, I'm going to have Sarah introduce herself in a second, um, but Shay wishes she could be here. She has a family obligation, um, but I figured, you know, I've known Sarah, the young nug, since my college days. Um, so we miss Shay, but she will be back uh, next week better than ever. Um, so Sarah, if you could just to place yourself on the millennial spectrum, where were you born? How old are you? And what's your life like now? What do you do on the day to day? Oh, gosh, I don't even know what I do. Um, I was born in 1996. I know. So you are like the youngest of the young I'm millennials. I'm like very young of yeah. young millennial. Um, but I have a uh, 28-year-old brother, which adds a little more millennial context. Inspiring. Nice middle-aged millennial. Yeah. Inspired me with all the fun of the millennial generation. Um, I was born in D.C. And I grew up in a Maryland suburb. And now I am finishing up my junior year at NYU studying photography at the Tisch School of the Arts. That's great. Awesome. So I just want to dive right into it. So your photography is awesome. Oh, and where can people check it out? Just give them the plug up front. Oh, SarahSheckerPhoto.com. Great. Amazing. Um, and before we dive into like the big stuff I want to talk about, I think one of my favorite photo projects you've done is when you went to Cuba. Yeah, Cuba's cool. If you could tell us some of the highlights. I feel like Cuba is one of those places that people are very interested in and no one has been to for the most part. I mean, now it's kind of becoming a little trendy, but... I did it before it was cool. Does that make me a hipster? A little bit. But you've told me some story. I mean, the, the photos are incredible. I think, oh, thanks. like, you know, a lot of, like, quote-unquote mainstream journalism, I feel like it's a lot of the same types the of images. Cars. Yeah, which, like, that is really cool and I think it is indicative. Um... But, or just showing, like, the abject poverty there, but not really yeah. showing much else when it really is, like, a diverse, rich culture. And the ecosystem it's is very so cool. cool. Like, I have never been to a place like Cuba. Um, it's really amazing, honestly, to see, like, the diversity within the culture. But it was really cool. I went with uh, school after I finished my freshman year for a month for, like, a study abroad type of thing. So I was there for a month with five other girls, and we it's took... a long time. Yeah. For, like... No internet. To get a sense of... Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. That's crazy. Did you feel like you were kind of in a bubble? Oh, or did absolutely. you feel like you kind of went back in time? Yeah. I As soon as we stepped out of the airport, and you see those cars, and you, like, realize, wow, the world's not actually in black and white in the 50s, and it's crazy. You think you're in the 1950s. What do you wish people in the U.S. knew about Cuba? Like, what was something that you learned there? <laughs> well, when I was getting ready to leave, my mother was like, 
oh, you'll call me, right? And I said, mother, they don't have yeah. cell phones. And she was like, well, can't you go to Starbucks and get Wi-Fi? They don't have either of those things. Starbucks or <laughs> Wi-Fi, really. Well, there's a little bit of Wi-Fi, but that's a little... You get these, like, cards. Sketchy, like, yeah. state-sponsored. State-sponsored. Like, Snapchat doesn't work there. Yeah. Like, I would get Wi-Fi for, like, about a, like an hour, like, every, like, yeah. five or Just, six like, days to make sure I'm, like, a lo- like <laughs> the world is moving. Yeah. Um, so you go, you have to go to these Wi-Fi hotspots. So, like, there was a hotel near our, our like, casa where we were staying, our house. Um, we weren't, like, staying in old, Hava- like, Havana, like, the central where you see all those pictures. We were staying in, like, what's called Vedado, and it'd be, like, the equivalent of, like, Brooklyn, a little like, bit more like hip and well, hip happening, or like more like Queens, maybe a little bit like it, quieter. Queens, not yeah. as like hustle bustle, not as hustle bustle. A lot of That's residential, a lot of small businesses. Did you get a sense that the Cuban people, like as an American coming there, did they have a certain perception about you <laughs> that was there, or do you think that it is so isolated that they don't even know kind of what they're missing or what's kind of out there? I don't think they know what they're missing. Unless they're, like, at a level like our professor was, where yeah. he travels he internationally travel, yeah. everywhere, because he's one of the top... Was he Cuban? Cu- yeah, he's yeah. Cuban. He's, like, the top Cuban uh, photographer, like, one of the top. So he, like, travels all around and, like, knows what life is like in America, but he definitely, like, is still proud to be Cuban. Like, he lives there still, um, but he has all the fixins of <laughs> Western yeah. culture in Cuba, which is kind of cool. Um, but he was, like, kind of obviously a minority. Like, yeah. the rest of them... Well, the house we were staying at was, like, run by this woman that runs it for, like, American students, and she claims she doesn't speak English, but I'm probably... Yeah. <laughs> she definitely does. Yeah. Uh, There's no way you can spend that much time just, like, around people Americans. speaking English and not pick up any of it. Thanks, Alita. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out to Alita. Casavera. Um, and Nyanya. Like, Enya A, Nyanya. I can't even really say her name. The, the the woman that worked there, she was the boss. Yeah. Loved her. But, yeah, I mean, we met all different types of people. Some had, like, probably never met an American. Others, like, definitely interact with them a lot. Um, so, yeah. And a lot of, like, I don't want to make it seem like these people are, like, not... Like, they have exposure to Western influence because the European... There's a big European tourist, yes. tourism yeah. there. Yeah. So they... It's not like they've never seen someone who, like has used the internet before. But do you get a sense, like, from a lot of your photos, when I looked at them, I got a real sense of joy from these people, that they're very, they don't have a lot of the modern anxieties about, you know, presenting yourself publicly or, like, working. It seems like there's a big culture there of, like, you work, but then you also have time for family, and there's a lot of, like, leisure culture. Yeah, family is definitely, like, a priority there. Everyone is, loves their family. They love just being around them and like for a country with so little it's so inspiring almost just to see well it just shows you I think the biggest thing is like I mean the cars are a good example of like it it just showed me like how wasteful when you live (laughs) in a society that has everything it's like you can afford to throw something away or not repurpose something but it's like every individual thing that's of value like even the concept of like recycling you learn to live with like, so little and it's, yeah they're so happy but they still have a lot it, it just goes to show you like you don't need like this drive of consumerism yeah. 
that propels a capitalistic society like you need it like if people didn't buy new stuff like our society would collapse (laughs) but for them it's like they still and this i mean i don't want to get it too much into like the politics but like there is an element of capitalism there like people exchange money it's not like yeah they don't know what it is but to just see like that even if you have nothing you can still have a lot and it's not like your stereotype of a poor person who doesn't have anything and they're still happy it's like these people do have a lot they just don't throw stuff away right when it breaks like they are (laughs) they'll fix it (laughs) more there's more ingenuity there i think yeah it was it's so interesting because something a lot of people probably don't know is there are two currencies there there's like the cuban uh convertible dollar which is like one, it's a, almost a one-to-one to America, so, like, one Cuban dollar is yeah. the same as an American, but then there's also, like, the Cuban money, like, the Cuban pesos, which are, like, I never even learned the conversion, and that's, like, definitely coming from a very point of privilege. Yeah. Like, I think it's, like, 10 Cuban pesos is, like, maybe, like, a penny. Oh, wow. Like, I so would buy... that much, like, inflation. I would everything. literally buy, like omelet sandwiches for 10 Cuban pesos. Yeah. I would take a ride in a taxi for, like, 10 Cuban pesos. Like, that's crazy. Like... Did you get a sense, given kind of what's happening? I mean, Trump has kind of scaled this back a little bit, but at the time that you went, it was, you know, kind of this feeling that Cuba was going to open up. Like, do you think that they were the people that you met and talked to or just your observations? Do you think that they are welcoming of that and they want it absolutely yeah they love like spreading their culture they love inviting people in and like obviously there is european tourism and i don't think it would really change that much yeah maybe just the scale but not the type of it's not really gonna be your typical spring break destination anyways because there's no because there's no beaches in havana it's a giant uh, the Malacón, like, the hi- coastal highway. in other parts of Cuba. Yeah, yeah, there is. I, there are words, English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are, but I feel like it's not like if you're, they're going to go for spring break to uh, a beach in Mexico versus going to right. actually learn something in Cuba. Right, totally. That's very interesting. So, switching gears to your more current project Oof. and travels to... A different part of the world that is also greatly misunderstood, I think, similar Absolutely. to Cuba. So tell us about the project that you've most recently worked on, the Lone Soldier Project. Yeah, so still working on the title a little bit in, in flux, kind of in the beginning of it. Um, but I'm working on a project on Israeli lone soldiers. And a lone soldier is defined as a soldier in the Israeli army, in the Israeli Defense Force, the IDF, that has no immediate family in Israel. These soldiers oftentimes come from America, Russia, Australia, places in Europe like France or like the UK, and they integrate into Israeli society completely and become a, most of the times they become a citizen and they fight in the army just alongside all the Israelis. Right. And so the, the Israeli government has like, I don't know what the technical term is, but it's like enforced conscription, right? Like everyone has to serve in some capacity. So if you move there as like a teenager or like a young adult, if you become a citizen, you have to serve Um, kind of thing or not really. You can get out of it if you move there. Um, because, but if you, but move these there, people that you're, t- you're yeah. more referring to, like they wanted 
yeah, to they serve. All, like they, they came wanted there because to, of it. they all wanted to serve because they wanted to integrate into Israeli society. Since Israel has the draft, you have to have uh, military or national service. Like it's required of everyone when they turn eighteen. Um, three years for guys, two years for girls. Um, so everyone does that. It's just part of the culture. It's assumed that you served in the military if you live there. So you went to Israel recently yes, to take I photos. I Tell us about that. went over spring break um, for nine days, and I met up with uh, four different groups of people. And so to take a step back, sorry, before yes. you kind of go into it, how did you even set this trip up? Because this is for your se- senior thesis. Yes. Um, did you, I know you've been to Israel before, so did you kind of leverage contacts from there? Did NYU kind of help you find these people or did you just kind of show up and you were like just talking to people that you met there? How did it kind of work? Yeah, so I've been to Israel three times before, which is really nice. I'm fluent in Hebrew because I went to... Lahayim. <laughs> Mazel tov. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Israel um, three times before, uh, once with my family, once on a trip to Poland and Israel, and then once on your typical birthright trip. Shout out to former uh, Camp Adulthood podcast uh, guest Alana Rubin. She was on my trip. Oh, fun. Yes. Shout out. Uh, so I, I know the culture. I know the place. I know the language, which is really great. Um, all the people I met up with, uh, except for one, I like knew in some capacity. Uh, one girl was on one of the previous trips I was on and then decided to join the army. Another one was my roommate from summer 2016's cousin and he stayed on her floor for like a week in the summer and I met up with him and then another is like family like the Jewish web of family friends (laughs) from Washington from where I'm from so it was really easy to piece together these people to meet up with cool so when you went um and I think you know particularly for the context of this podcast millennials living abroad what did you kind of see? I think, you know, even we've talked to like Corey's been on the podcast, he served in the US. And I think it is a very different culture when it's volunteer versus the draft, even if you are a volunteer in Israel, just the fact that like, everyone that lives there has a context for it. And it's very relevant to everyone's day to day. Um, How did you feel like these people being put in kind of, you know, what I would as a you know, weenie civilian, (laughs) but think of these very stressful situations and having to take on so much responsibility as such a young person. Like we were talking about before we were on mic of like, you know, you were joking that like a lot of the Israeli army is driven by like (laughs) these young, like teenage girls who are like commanding people from like the command centers. It's like, you know, when I think back to like me at 18, like I, that seems very stressful. Absolutely. Um, yeah, every what was really fascinating was everyone I met with, like had something going on. Um, like one of the one girl I was meeting with, she was trying to get. Uh, well, first of all, lone soldiers are treated at, like this almost like higher level because it is a draft, and these people are yeah. coming voluntarily. And it's hard to like move from a different country. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, pick up your life. Yeah. But so they are treated with the most like respect, like the Israelis absolutely support them in every way shape and form they possibly could they well they're kind of the ultimate form of like zionism in a way would you agree with that like yeah that's kind of the model of like you know things like the birthright trip of like trying to expose other people for that would never have gone to israel to israel it's like 
I'm sure a lot of the lone soldiers were influenced by that type of thing. Like, yeah. either the media or traveling to Israel as a kid and being like, oh my gosh, this is where I belong. Yeah. Like, I need to be here. I mean, it is the ultimate, almost, because they are, like, mm-hmm. making that pilgrimage, I'll call it. Yeah. But it, I wouldn't say it's the norm. It's not a right. large Yeah, population. they're definitely the minority. Definitely a minority. Um, but so the Israelis support them every way, shape, and form they possibly can. So... But, like, one girl I was meeting with, she was trying to get what's called her, like, miyucheret, her special, um, special time off. Every lone soldier gets a month off to go back to, like, America and, like, see their family. Because it's not like when you're joining the American army and you deploy to somewhere in the Middle East, you are gone for nine months. Like, these people go home, like, every weekend or every other weekend or a a lot. So they get to see their family and these lone soldiers don't really have that. Well, it's interesting to think about, like... I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, but Mm -hmm. my perspective, like, the majority of the reason why the Israeli army exists is because the conflict is so close to home. It's not, like, they do deploy and, like, train overseas, but, like, the conflict is at home, which is so different, I think, from the American perspective. Like, what it's like in, I feel like when I think about, like, wartime America, it's like you think about some, like, old-timey, like, grainy footage of, like, you know, I don't even know, like, the like World War II, I guess, like, Pearl Harbor or something. Yeah. Like, even World War II was, like, very removed from, like, yeah. the actual land of, like, America for a lot of people. Sure. Um, so it seems like a very old-timey, sort of, like, quaint concept of, like, defending your home. I mean, obviously, that is a very American-centric perspective because yeah. people in, you know, Japan and Europe, it's the opposite for them. But it's interesting to me with all the technology and stuff, like being able to stay connected with family, but still having this like very rudimentary, like warrior culture of like, we're defending the homeland basically. Yeah. And I think there's no stronger place to demonstrate that than Israel. Yeah. Like I was on uh, the border of Gaza. One of the girls lives on a, what's called a kibbutz, like a community um, there. And literally it's like the last town and then border. Yeah. Um, I was there and, uh, everywhere you look, there's, uh, bomb shelters because if you hear the siren and you're at that kibbutz at that town, mm-hmm. you have 15 seconds to get to it. If there's a Seva Adom or Code Red, mm-hmm. 15 seconds to run for your life. And just crazy. Like who can make that? Like, <laughs> like no one. Have, at that like, point, I'm just like, whatever, take me if it's my time. <laughs> like, like <laughs> how can you even? That's all so of the bus stops. Yeah. bomb shelters this girl's bedroom is a bomb shelter that's crazy that you can't even fathom yeah. that in like america like can you imagine no. having no, bomb it's like, shelters that's in like britain Manhattan? world war Two. yeah that's why it's it's interesting that as a world we've come so far but yet these very these things that you think we got over like generations ago are still there yeah for a lot absolutely of people. um but i mean at the end of the day what's really fascinating this is a army run by 18 to we'll call it 24 year olds yeah yeah i was gonna say do they because everyone has to serve so they always have like a new crop of like young people yeah. I'm, I'm sure there are people that make a career out of being in the yeah, military for sure so there has to be some like chain of command yes but when it's like a volunteer like the american military there's a high pressure on like okay we're training you like, re-enlistments and, like, staying more than, like, the four years of, like, the typical um, contract or whatever, like, is it, did you feel like it was that same way? Like, do you think these lone soldiers, maybe because they made more of a choice and they weren't just, like, a draftee or whatever, Mm -hmm. do you think some of them are going to stay past 
the no. minimum time. No. <laughs> yeah. They can't wait to get out. They. I'm sure it's a tough life. Yeah. They do it because it's, like, really, like... Well, it's a part of, like, living there. Yeah. It's, like, it's, a part of the culture. Exactly. It's the only way to truly integrate into the culture, integrate into the society. There's no other way to really be that, quote, full Israeli if you, like, haven't served in the army. Right. There's so many, I've learned so much about all the different units. Like, each person I met with was in a different unit, which was so cool. Um, one girl, the one that lives on the border of Gaza, is in artillery. Um, another one is in tanks unit, and he, um, his sector is, like, the Gaza border. Um, the girl I met with, she's in, like, education of, like, different units. And then uh, another one I met with was an Air Force commander. So really cool. Yeah. Do you think, and this is something, again, Sarah and I have talked about this off mic. I'm coming from like an extreme place of ignorance with this. And Sarah (laughs) has done a lot to educate me over the last like 24 hours, which is great. The internet is a great place. Um, But I just like thinking about like the conflict and also like the culture of Israel. Like Mm -hmm. it's a deeply religious place. Like there are obviously like what you would consider, like, more secular Jews that live there all the way up to, like, I don't know, what's the most... The Haredis. The Haredis. I don't even know what the, that is. Uh, that's, like, you, you, you go deep into Are those, Brooklyn. like, Hasidic, yeah. ultra-Orthodox the kind ultra, of people? Ultra, ultra, ultra. They call them Haredis. Um, and they yeah. have... They exist in the U.S. as well, or are they kind yeah. of an Israeli? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll exist. Those are, like, deep Brooklyn, yeah. like, Crown Heights, like those Jews. Those are the Haredis. Interesting. Yeah. So you have people that are like, you know, secular all the way to the Haredis. Like, are there people, I don't know enough about Judaism. Like, is there a conflict between like serving in the army and being deeply religious? Well, great question, Maddie. So <laughs> none of the ultra-Orthodox actually will serve oh, in the army. Oh, interesting. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. They, because they can't because they can't work on right, Saturday I was gonna say the, the electronics and things yeah, and absolutely being in vehicles so they get out of it which is kind of ironic just for right. a lot of <laughs> multitude of reasons right um and even not super like orthodox even like you know like orthodox so just anyone that celebrate or not celebrates but like observes the sabbath so yeah so can you still serve or yes, no not yeah a, for sure. Yeah. So there's in Israel, it's not like America where you'll have like reform, conservative, orthodox. Yeah. There really is like it's like religious or not religious. In, okay. In Israel, there's no they think conservative is a load of bull. Like the, there's no conservative synagogues in it. There's like a few. So if you're like a refo- like an American style like reform Jew, would you're you be basically con- secular. Okay. <laughs> Got it. So it's kind of a different scale. Yeah, def- Got definitely. Definitely okay. a different scale. Um, but one of the soldiers, uh, my friend's cousin, he's. He considered he's religious. He lives on a religious kibbutz, keeps Shabbat, and sometimes he's on base during holidays and during Shabbat, and he just does the minimum level. Like he won't be just checking right. his phone, but he'll if he has to get his gun out, he'll do it yeah. because it's for protection. It's what you're doing. It's what, yeah, what his job is. So they. But can they're really ultra orthodox religious people. Not at all. Don't, don't serve. serve. No. Interesting. How do you do? You, how do you think that affects Israeli culture? Like, do you think there's a divide there, or do you think that it's more so like the army kind of feels like they're protecting these people that can't protect themselves, so that they can kind of propagate the religion because that's kind of what it's based on. I don't know. Or do you not really see it? Like, as someone that's traveled there, you don't really see the divide. 
I feel like I I mean when I go I don't really interact with these ultra orthodox people at all. Yeah. Like I went <laughs> I walked through the most orthodox neighborhood. Um I'll have to send you the picture of the sign <laughs> they have in front of it. It's called Masharim. It's in Jerusalem. And there's a sign like dress modestly, like don't like walk through here in yeah. immodest clothing. So were you I, dressed modestly or no? I wore jeans and a t shirt. I mean that's not like, you know, shorts. I was getting some looks, yeah. Maddie. I mean, if you, you're some not wearing strong... a skirt and no, your hair, no. they cover their hair too, right? Or no? The married the women, women yeah. yeah. But I was you're getting unmarried. some looks. Un- yeah. I am unmarried. Yeah. That is correct. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, I I don't really know as much about, like, yeah. that divide per se because mm-hmm. I've been focusing so much on the soldiers themselves. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's I interesting just... I definitely have to look about it. For me, yeah, because I... I have this vision of Israel. I've never been there, obviously. Um, Let's go. But I think I would love to go. It would be great. Come with me. Um, I've heard the beaches are great. I think it's a great vacation spot. And, of course, all the culture and everything. Food. Tel Aviv Aviv is literally, I've heard it's, like, lit. It's, It's like, like Miami meets Silicon Valley meets Oh, yeah. There's tons of, like, great, like, tech companies and startups. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, But... I always thought just from, I don't know if it's like portrayals in the media or just because the state of Israel is like, it's considered the Jewish state. So the religion is kind of at the forefront, but I always thought that it was like very like, like the ultra Orthodox was more of the norm, but it sounds like not so much. They more so like keep to themselves or it's more similar to America in that way of like, it's more diverse and you have like your different communities and they're all able to kind of like coexist, but there's not one like dominant, like, no, the, I mean, right now the government is definitely very, um, Jewish lean. I mean, very more religious, more religious conservative, kind of like every, like for instance, like your option to get married in Israel, you have to be Jewish. <laughs> you can't right. not have a Jewish wedding. Like, so, like, if I, as, like, a non-Jew, like, if I met an Israeli guy and wanted to get married to him in Israel, they would be, like... No. I would have to convert. Or would yeah. they not even... That would not, not really fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, I would have to jump through some hoops, let's say. Just, yeah, definitely. A couple hoops. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really is a... It, at the end of the day, it is the Jewish state, and right. it's not a secular mm-hmm. government at but all. But not everyone But not practices. everyone practices. Yeah. But it is the norm, probably, to practice. Mm-hmm. Even though you can go to Tel Aviv and have things open on Shabbat, you can go to... But if you're in Jerusalem, everything's closed. Yeah. Like, I was there for Passover one year. Everything there is kosher for Passover. Mm-hmm. Um, but... At the same time, I went for brunch at a place, and they had bacon. So you can find both, and I think that's, like, the beauty in it. It's mm-hmm. not just the ultra-Orthodox. You can have that secular experience and really experience what's, like, Israeli culture, or yeah. you can live your nice Jewish life, Yeah, and that's beautiful to me. That's interesting. What is the Israeli culture to you? Like, Ugh. when you go there, what do you, like... love about it or what's different than america so much fun literally (laughs) so much fun i mean the food is obviously like 10 out of 10 incredible um nice very fresh yeah i've heard the food because they don't have as much like processed and it's like all fresh and like a lot of it is junk really but (laughs) it's a lot of fresh i was listening to a podcast and it was I mean, obviously, like, birthright is a very specific experience, but it's something that a lot of Americans 
can identify with. And this girl was like talking about her birthright experience. And she was like, I ate so much like food, but because it was like just like fresh and like the fish and like the meats and the every Vegetables. all the grains and stuff, so like good. it's not super processed. Yeah. Like you can just eat so much food and like it's so good. The market feel it. You'll have like all the pretty like markets, like yeah. people shouting, bargaining, like strawberries in these like bit giant tubs, and everyone eats like Israeli like tomato cucumber salad, and it's just so That's delectable. Awesome. That's very cool. I love that. Um, going back to birthright. So you've been yeah. kind of on different trips to Israel. Mm-hmm. You said you went with your family. You've gone by yourself for more of like a school, like working, like you went yeah. there with a purpose and then you went on birthright. Yeah. Um, how did kind of all of those trips differ and what are your opinions on like birthright as a concept? And like, if someone's listening who is Jewish, who hasn't done it, who's like been mm-hmm. thinking about it, like, what would you say to those people? Like, would you recommend it or? Yeah. I had already been twice when I went on birthright, so... So you're, like, the old veteran. <laughs> the old veteran of Israel. Yeah. <laughs> I was, like, still eligible based on how I had been to Israel before. Um, um, do they have, like... Different, different eligibility. Yeah. Now it's basically anyone. If you're Jewish, yeah. you can go, because they just want you to go. Right. Um, but, I mean, when I was 11, I feel like I didn't really appreciate it right. as much. Yeah, totally. Any 11-year-old is not going to get it. <laughs> yeah. Um sidebar when we went we went to Petra in Jordan and I was so mad at my family that they dragged me across the damn border (laughs) into Jordan because the other option was to go snorkeling and 11 year old Sarah really wanted to go snorkeling snorkeling is very cool I've never been I wouldn't know uh (laughs) I missed my opportunity thanks uh mom and dad yeah but no it was it was really cool to do that but it was obviously very different going yeah. with, like, a family and an organized trip or even doing the organized trips like Birthright or March of the Living and being with, like, a group of, like, teenagers or college students. It's very different than just, like, being there on your own, staying right. in a it's hostel. it's more like a school trip or, like, a field yeah. trip type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, any, like, tour, you'll see all the... T- I did the same thing all three trips, yeah. basically. So, But this- it's interesting to see those things through the lens yeah. of people that have never seen it before, oh, too. Oh, for sure. It's, like... You, you need to go to those things to understand. Yeah. Like, so you mentioned history. March of the Living. What yes. is that? Ooh, March of the Living, which actually is, like, leaving today. The oh, people that are all Bon voyage. <laughs> Have a good trip. They do it, like, once a year or something? Yeah, once a year. March of the Living is the international, like, initiative to bring Jews from all over the world to Poland during uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day, which happens oh, yeah. this week. You went to Auschwitz. I went which to are also four some concentration camps. Powerful yeah. photos you have yes. as well. Um, went to which four concentration camps, which is like, I can't even words. imagine. Yeah. And then the next week is Israeli Independence Day. So both those holidays are coming up. And also Memorial Day. So mm-hmm. Israel's really cool. It goes from Memorial Day one day and the next day is independence day and seeing the country like truly transition from memorial day to independence day is like beyond words like it's not just your cookout day like it is Mm -hmm. in america the pools don't open right it's everyone knows somebody that's been affected by Mm -hmm. the the army well they're still being affected it's like a living history kind of thing exactly like they ring a siren in israel and Everyone, like, gets out of their cars in the middle of the highway and stands while the siren is going for the minute. Wow. And watching that was, like, 
crazy. Yeah. Like, just seeing people stop their cars and stand there. And so is this, like, a nonprofit that, like, oh, any Jewish person can participate in? Or is it, like, you apply and go? Yeah. The, so the march, there were 10,000... The March of Loving, there's 10,000 people. Oh, like, wow, that's a lot. That do it yeah. from all over the world. Like, my flight from... So, well, so you spend the week in, in Poland doing... And you actually walk from Auschwitz to Birkenau. It's like a, like a two-mile walk. Yeah. But it's to, like, relive what mm-hmm. the like the death march was. Yeah. Um, and we did that alongside survivors, which are obviously much older now. Right. And that was just... That's got to be powerful. I mean, unfortunately, those people are not going to be around forever. And hearing their stories and everything. And then going and seeing how Israel emerged from this Mm -hmm. horrible, the lowest of lows in Jewish history. It's really inspiring. Yeah, that's very interesting to do that back to back Mm -hmm. and to kind of see both of those things. What do you, like, talking about that trip specifically, um, I totally forgot that you did that when I was thinking of interview <laughs> questions for you, but now that it's come up, um, what, cause even going to Poland, like I've never been to Poland. We just interviewed, um, Jen, who's one of Shay's friends who's from Poland. Her mm-hmm. dad, um, escaped like communist Poland, like after the wow. war and came here and he, they grew up in Brooklyn. So we talked a little bit about Poland from that perspective, from like the immigrant story of coming in like the fifties. Um, but what was your impression there? And especially like taking photos and things yeah. of what is probably like one of the most photographed Place places. World, yeah. What was that kind of like? Well, it was really like powerful to me to be going back period because I have family, mm-hmm. great, great grandparents are from Poland. So being back there and like seeing. And kind of how is the, the kind of how is it structured? Because obviously these are like historical. Yeah sites but like when you go is it just kind of like the structures are there is it more like you have to go and like a tour and well, we how much did they show you really everything i was inside gas chambers wow yeah and you see like scratch marks on the walls from people clawing that's crazy to get, try to I get out imagine. Yeah. yeah um but that's well, incredible that they preserved all of that 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 yeah. um there's even was there after the war and I know there was a lot of controversy over, like, how much to erase and how much to rebuild yeah. and all that stuff. So that's great that it's even still there for people yes. to experience it yes, firsthand. for sure. But then there's other concentration camps, like Treblinka, which was completely, like, at the end of the war, the Nazis knew that they were going to... They started to sense right. that they were going to lose, so they completely dismantled yeah, you the want to get rid of the evidence. Camp, dismantled yeah. it, got rid of the evidence, and 800,000 Jews passed away there. That's crazy. So there, it's just, like, a memorial. I can imagine, yeah. Of, like... Um, Less so of, like, an educational, like... But it's just... Time you still capsule. feel the, like, yeah. eeriness of oh where you were. Like, that's Well, I even remember... Crazy. I mean, it's, it's not the same thing, but it's the only thing that I have that's, like, similar to that experience, was I remember in second grade after 9-11 when the rubble was still there my family and I went down to see it and I still have vivid memories of that and that's I mean again like living history but even I mean the people that try to say the holocaust is like history it's still like people are still alive so (laughs) I don't I still consider that to be living history in the same way but it, it was a similar thing where it was like now when you go down there there's like the memorial and the museum and there's a lot of 
it's more educational and still the memorial and everything, but it's a different vibe. But then it was just like, there's just a hole in the ground and people are just there and everyone has a different experience. Like I'm sure there were some people maybe on your trip that had less of a connection and then people who had a very direct connection and to kind of see that up close is yeah crazy. everyone that went on that trip really wanted to be there yeah you took two weeks off of school and right, you it's a really big commitment you yeah really wanted to do that if well, that's an amazing yeah experience i mean it was amazing yeah absolutely yeah that's crazy wow but at the same time like you're not just at concentration camps you see you warsaw see, like, the towns and, you and see stuff yeah krakow so we really went like those are the two biggest yeah. cities did and... you get a sense of how like how this these kind of pilgrimages and this I don't even know what you want to call it it's like disaster tourism like people that want to go and like see it to remember it and to experience it like how do you think that that kind of affects modern Poland like yeah because there's people that have to work at the concentration camps to keep them open so that people can go see them like yeah. that's got to be a conflicting experience yeah I, can I don't know if you've had <laughs> any interaction with those people or not but did you kind of get a sense of like how the Polish people are kind of dealing with that part of their history? Um, I think they're doing a pretty good job of preserving and mm-hmm. not suppressing it. Uh, That's good. That's more than a lot of other places can say. I mean, <laughs> even Germany does, is they, they acknowledge mm-hmm. what happened. Um, and I feel like the biggest step is acknowledging, and yeah. as long as they acknowledge it, that's... Which you would think would be uh, a, a given, but apparently, <laughs> hmm, interesting. Scratch his head. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. But Poland does have, apparently, a really big music scene. You would, every, we were driving on the bus, and we'd always see the posters for, like, big name artists. Big bands. Oh, yeah. really? Like, touring to Poland? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, they have, like, a huge population of people, so... Yeah. That's cool that they're... The food was crap. Now that communism... Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Well, we like, had to eat... and stuff? I love no, Polish No, we had food. to eat, like, kosher pierogi. Like, uh, not pierogies. We had to eat kosher at the hotels. Yeah. So all we That's ate... <laughs> all we ate the entire trip was... We had to make our lunch every day at the hotel oh and bring it with us. That's we funny. ate, like, bread with, like, tuna. <laughs> You're like, wow. <laughs> wow, living the life. Real. Yeah. Living the life. Oh, my God. Because the best part of Polish... Is food is like <laughs> the meat with cheese, which you can't do. No. Oh we didn't God. even have any pierogies. That's so sad. I was gypped. R.I.P. Sarah on that trip. I'm sure it was still worth it, but still worth it. One. If I need to go back to Poland, I'm gonna make sure I get some pierogies. Yeah, experience a different part of the culture. That's really cool. So going back to the Lone Soldier Project. Yeah. Um, how? How did you feel, like, talking to these people? Like, what is something that you think Americans should take away from the conflict? Because I, as a casual observer, I told you this before the, we were recording, I was like, I consider myself a pretty, you know, educated person. I read the news. I literally, and the fact that it's, things are happening right now and they've happened throughout our lifetime, like, I really didn't know, like, what the Israeli-Palestinian conflict was. And I think a lot of what I did know was framed in a way of like Israel settled on Arab land and now the Arabs are pissed and that's like what it was reduced down to me which is a not not wholly accurate and b very reductive for what a complicated issue it is so did talking to these people and all of your experiences in Israel what did what do you wish like other millennials especially an American audience would know that you learned from these people I think the biggest thing is to do your research. 
if you're gonna put us like there's so many issues in the world and obviously you're not gonna care about every single one of them equally right but if you want to have an opinion on something anything yeah obviously do your research look at both sides don't just take the dominant opinion as fact or yeah just like say something just to be like cool or like trendy I feel like happens a lot. Absolutely. Hear the other side. Question the other side. You're not going to agree with everything you hear, but at least hear it and and try to Mm -hmm. understand it. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the most dangerous things, and I feel like it happens a lot in this debate, is just the the suppression, and I feel like that's a big part of the Jewish history as well, of like, oh, we don't like it, we're not just going to let it exist over there, we're going to, like, try to squash it completely. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. And you kind of brought up to me, if you don't mind talking about it, like the anti-Semitism involved in trying to squash Israel or not supporting Israel. Can you talk about that a little bit, like from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I don't really agree with everything Israel does, but in the same way that I don't agree with everything America does, especially now. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So to say that your anti-Israel is, like, this next level of, like, you don't agree for its right to exist. And Israel is a fact. It is a country. It exists. It's not going anywhere. So, to me, it is the Jewish homeland, and I believe that in order for that to sustain itself, there are measures that need to be taken to protect itself. But at the same time, I feel like if you, there's a, I mean, a lot of people will, there are Jews that don't support Israel, and I mean, that's fine, but at the same time, I still have such a hard time grasping that concept. Yeah. Do you feel, and this kind of brought up, was brought up earlier, but I know this was a big part of, like, when the Holocaust was happening and things like that, like, do you feel like in 21st century, like the way that you identify as Jewish or kind of how you see yourself in relation to Israel, like, do you see being Jewish as more of like an ethnic or like racial identity? Or do you think it's more of like a religious identity or kind of a combination? Oh, it's definitely a combination. Yeah. Since like I was in Jewish youth group, we'd always ask, is Israel, is Judaism a race, religion, or culture? It's all it's of all them. them. Yeah. <laughs> So you can't really, like, compartmentalize it. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, it is a religion, but there's a culture and a certain racial aspect that are Mm -hmm. attached to it as well. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think, um, kind of, like, what would you like to see, like, people know about Israel? Like, is there, are there stereotypes that you think from going there that have been propagated? Like, even a stereotype that I thought was that everyone that lived there was like very deeply religious, which is not the case. Um, like maybe the average is more religious than in the US or something like that, but they're not all like when we picture like the ultra ultra orthodox. <laughs> so that's something that like, okay, probably very problematic that like an educated person in New York, which is a very Jewish heavy community, thought that. So is there anything even smaller things like that that you think? you know, or even stereotypes about Jewish people specifically that you've seen, you know, displayed to you in your life, Um, like as a Jewish woman that you were like, 
WTF, guys. <laughs> we really want peace. I think yeah. most, mo- most there's always a outlier, but most Jews, most Israelis, that's our main priority. We want to see peace. And there's so much that can happen, obviously. It's a very fragile situation over there, but Israelis are the most wonderful people I have ever, like, I will ever very fun. They're so fun. They're so loud. The men are attractive. Accurate. (laughs) Um, Very attractive men. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I'll say it, even if you won't. Just kidding. (laughs) I mean, uniforms. Yeah. They look really good in their uniforms. Even just what you said, like, it seems so basic that they want peace, but I think there is this stereotype that because they have a standing army, because they have a draft, because it's, like, constant conflict of some sort that the Israelis might be, like, a warmongering people, but no. that's not accurate it's at all. It's so fun. Tel Aviv yeah. is one of the most fun places in the world. Like, yeah. if not, like, it's definitely more fun than New York, and that's a probably a really controversial opinion. No. Not more fun. Fun in different ways. Yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> different. Different in its own right. Do you, sorry, this is kind of switching gears, but I'm just going to ask yeah. you all of my Israel questions. Um, like, do you think you have to speak Hebrew to have, no. like, the full experience or no? no. There's enough They all speak English. English. Yeah. <laughs> they all speak. It's not like Cuba where I was yeah. like, Mongo. Oh God, so <laughs> Sarah tries to speak Spanish. A reality show. <laughs> Sarah doesn't speak Spanish. Shout out to three years of high school Spanish. No. No, no. You don't oh need God. Hebrew to get around. That's fun. So cool. I love it. Um, well, switching gears... Is there, since this is a millennial uh, conversation, I wanted to lead off with the um, interview just because I thought there was so much rich stuff there, which I'm glad we got into. Mm -hmm. Um, But do you have, I'll open the floor to you since I know you've listened to the pod, so you know our usual stuff. I don't know if there's anything you have an opinion on, um, but if you have any sort of like millennial topics or... Like, anything you want to talk about, the floor is yours. No pressure. I definitely should have come prepared. No. It's all good. Should have done my homework. (laughs) Read some pop culture. Like, what does being a millennial mean to you? Like, do you have any, like, moments from your life that you're like, yes, millennial? Um, the fact that before I get on the train, and if I'm going a far distance, I'll always check if I have an Uber or Lyft promo. That's just, like, being a smart consumer. (laughs) No, I think that's smart. Yeah. Especially since the subways have, like, kind of been real crappy lately and unreliable, and there's sometimes poop on them. Yeah. Which doesn't happen in an Uber or Lyft. Oh, I, I just want like... the subways to be fixed. <laughs> Relatable. Yeah. I feel like, oh, I have another good millennial yeah. moment. Um, so, right now, my, uh, my, this is, like, also, like, a New Yorker moment. Uh, right now, my apartment is infested with mice. <gasps> Did I even tell you this? No. Uh, well, Maddie's learning for the first time, too, folks. My apartment's infested. When you say infested, what, is, what does it mean? Like, They're everywhere? New York City, I know you're going to have, like, a mouse. Yeah. And you put a trap, and you kill it, and you're fine. Yeah. No. There's, like, <laughs> seven in my apartment. Or there were seven. Have you I don't tried know. trapping them? Um, I've been seeking refugee at, at my boyfriend's apartment. Sarah has... <laughs> has refugee status. I have a New Yorker mice refugee status. 
Um, I mean, I'm paying rent for myself, not for seven mice. So my you gotta like lay a trap or something. Well, that's my landlord's problem. Um, to deal with, I don't want to deal true. with that. I know. What but you I- just we had a problem. I mean, it was more so like the f- former thing that you said of like we had like a couple mice. We had like one or two that we would see like once every like two weeks so it was like definitely not an infestation but then there was like a period where we saw it like every day for like a week and we were like trying to trap it and at first we set out like the glue traps which are like kind of inhumane i would like not recommend them but they're like cheap and you can get them pretty much anywhere and we laid them down nothing worked and then we got like the snappy traps off amazon and we killed both in like one day and we haven't seen them since knock on wood so I highly recommend. But if they're coming, if you have that many, that means that they're probably coming in from somewhere, which means that you have a breach that your landlord needs to, like, fix. Well, no, my millennial moment toward this is I'm moving. <laughs> out of the infested apartment. <laughs> yes, out of the mice-infested apartment. That's nice. Where are you moving? Do you know yet? Yeah, I, uh, we submitted an app on Friday for an apartment nice. in the East Village. Wow, so NYU student. Yeah, I, I know. Like um, but yeah, we, the entire building has mice. Oh my God. It was not, not pleasant. That's horrible. It's like my worst nightmare. <laughs> I can't, cause you can't escape it. That is like a New York moment, but it's also like. The millennial part, I feel like it's really like moving. Yeah. Instead of dealing with it. Well, sometimes you can't. I mean, the mice have been here for longer than you have. Sometimes you just can't oh. handle it. And it's like, you don't want to be going crazy in your own home. Yeah. So that's insane. Um, well, this is, this is great. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, where can people find you, again, if you want to be found on the interwebs? Oh, always. I know you have... I have multiple accounts. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, which which one? Oh, all of them. No. Photography. <laughs> Photography is at Shecker Sarah. That's S-Checker Sarah on Instagram. And sarahsheckerphoto.com. Fancy. Very cool. Well, thanks for being here. Delightful conversation. Thanks, Maddie. I'll say shalom to end it. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, resident youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com. And you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Please also find on our website, there are links to our Patreon page where you can be a subscriber and there are many cool prizes. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.